We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to discuss an interview that I just had a few minutes ago with a writer with the Religion News Service, who's writing a story on wokeness and then sabotaged me with a ton of questions on critical race theory and then refused to listen to my response. I'll share this story and more on today's Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. Today's topic is an interview that I just conducted, oh, probably less than an hour ago, with a reporter by the name of Bob Smitada. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It really doesn't matter. But reporter Bob contacted me via email and wanted to interview me. He writes for the Religion News Service, and apparently he stumbled across the fact that I'm serving as a keynote speaker in Illinois in mid-February, excuse me, in Illinois in mid-February at the Illinois Family Institute, where I and George Barna and some others are talking about wokeness, the emergent church, and the loss of biblical fidelity within the evangelical church in America. This reporter contacted me and wanted to talk about my role in that conference, wanted to talk about wokeness. I actually sent him an article that I wrote for the Washington Times on that very issue, which explains quite clearly what my concerns are with regard to the burgeoning wokeness of theology, ontology, and epistemology within the church. In this interview that I just conducted with Mr. Smitada, I recognized that immediately he was turning to the issue of critical race theory. Now, yes, critical theory is part of wokeness, but it was interesting that he zeroed in as that being his sole objective. Some 20 minutes later, I'm asking this guy, what part of what I just said do you not understand? I mean, I've spent 20 minutes talking to you. I've answered your questions over and over again. I've given you an answer repeatedly because that is my answer, and you keep wanting to push me off in different rabbit trails. What is it that I've said that you don't understand? I've quoted the Apostle Paul. I've quoted Martin Luther King Jr. I've referred to Jesus. I've, re I've referred to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, James, and Peter in my defense of a biblical worldview on this issue, and you won't accept it. What is it that I've said that you can't understand? <laughs> you might be interested in hearing more. Uh, these guys are incorrigible. Uh, they, they keep manipulating, pushing, dodging, dancing, cornering, until you say what they want you to say. At one point in the interview, I actually said, don't say that I said that. You're putting words in my mouth. And he started arguing with me as if I had said something that I just didn't say. And I cornered him. I challenged him. I confronted him. And I said, I did not say that. Don't you dare put your words in my mouth. 
Now, you may be listening to this right now and say, well, it's your fault. You granted the stupid interview in the first place, and you may be right. And I had the right to cut it off anytime I wished, but it was actually entertaining to listen to this guy. And it was instructional to see how brainwashed he is in this whole critical theory Payback, I want my pound of flesh. Revenge is now a vice. Excuse me, revenge is now a virtue rather than a vice. And that it doesn't matter what the Bible says about forgiveness. It doesn't matter what the Bible says about unity. We're going to embrace this neo Marxist movement of critical theory as being more biblical than the teachings of the church. And this guy refused to accept an answer to the contrary, an answer that didn't give him what he wanted. Now, I have zero trust that he's going to report this out accurately. We'll see. And I'll challenge him in public in the Washington Times if he, if he doesn't treat this honestly. Anyway, that's today's story. So let's take a break. And when we get back, I'll share with you some of the questions this man asked me, what my answers were, and why. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So the topic for the day is this interview that I just conducted with the Religion News Service. And an interviewer, a reporter, a writer by the name of Bob Smitada, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Again, it doesn't matter. He's writing a story on a conference that I'm going to be a part of in Illinois in mid-February. It's conducted by the Illinois Family Institute. And I'm cited on their agenda as addressing the issue of the woke church the woke evangelical church, and why that's a problem rather than something we should be celebrating. Mr. Smitada wanted to interview me on that issue. I granted the interview. So I'm at fault so far. I didn't have to grant the interview. I could have told him no. But I don't have any problems defending my position on the woke church. I don't have any problems defending any of the subcategories within that broader umbrella definition of the church, the emergent church, the woke church, the church that's interested in social justice versus biblical justice, the church that has embraced the language, the nomenclature, and the definitions of critical theory. I don't have any problem telling you why I think that this is wrong and unbiblical, so I granted the interview. Right out of the bat, Mr. Smitada shifted from woke. He never asked me one single question about the woke church. He never said, what's your difficulty with wokeism? Why is that a problem? He immediately shifted to critical race theory and why it's bad and why I felt it is bad. Well, I told him. I told him that I have a problem with critical theory, critical race theory, number one, because it's neo-Marxist. It's a Marxist agenda. That is a fact. That's actually admitted in the literature and in the mission statements of these organizations. We've talked about the fact that Black Lives Matter calls itself a Marxist organization. And they say right in their mission statement that they seek to dismantle the nuclear family. Well, what do they want to replace that with? Obviously, the government, the state. Because if you don't have any, have any family to raise the children, any family as the nucleus of society, something else has to fill the vacuum. And what will that be? It'll, it will be Big Brother. It will be the state rather than the individual. That is Marxism, people. I also told this man that one of the difficulties I have, one of the problems I have with critical race theory, critical theory to be uh, more exact because critical race theory is just a subcategory of the same 
bigger idea, critical theory, is that it is built upon the assumption on the premise of conflict, class conflict. Marxists couldn't win their Marxist revolution by pitting the bourgeoisie against the proletariat, so what did they do? They came up with another class conflict, blacks against whites. So the economic conflict was not working to their advantage because the Western countries that weren't embracing socialism and Marxism and communism were actually flourishing economically, and even the lower classes within those societies were recognizing that if they worked hard, that they could take advantage of the opportunities that were offered to them in a capitalistic, free enterprise culture. So people weren't as stupid as the Marxists thought they were, and we actually, as a whole, as individuals, recognized that there was greater opportunity to get yourself up and out, if you will, within a free market society versus one that was Marxist, communist, socialist. So what did they do? They moved the target. If we can't prevail by causing people to fight against each other and hate each other and kill each other over economics, let's get them to do the same thing, fight, hate, and kill each other over race. That's how we got to critical race theory. Now, this is a fact, and if this guy has done any reading at all, he should know that it's a fact. It's a fact out of the Frankfurt School where they actually promoted this stuff. They actually admit this stuff. It's grounded in Marxism. It's grounded in you against me, us against them. It's grounded in conflict. And I asked this interviewer a rhetorical question. I said, where in the Bible does it ever encourage us to engage in such conflict? Now, he wouldn't answer my question. He just kept dodging and saying, yeah, but, yeah, but. What about the Old Testament prophets? Yeah, but I don't understand what you're saying. So I would try to recraft and restate my answer. I said to him, let's go to the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, St. Paul tells the first century church that they are neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, but they are one in the body of Christ. He also goes on, St. Paul, to say that the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. What's his point? That there's unity in the body of Christ, not division. That we're not to be envious. We're not to say to the hand, I want more fingers. You've got all the fingers. I want some for myself. I know I'm a foot, but I still want some of your fingers. That's crazy. It sounds nuts, doesn't it? Because it makes no sense. And the foot can't say to the eye, I want some of what you have. And the eye can't say to the arm or the foot or the, or the hand, I want what you have. The body has to function with its unique components, complementing one another, not envious of one another, not wanting to be something or have something or get something that isn't yours in the first place. I said to this guy, what part of that admonition from the Apostle Paul, where we're told that you're neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, leads you or anyone else to any conclusion that it's okay to do the exact opposite and to draw distinctions between Jews and Greeks, barbarians and Scythians, blacks and whites, Hispanics and Asians, male and female. What part of that passage of the Bible is confusing? His answer? Well, yeah, but. Yeah, but. And he keeps going back to 
the Old Testament passages in Micah and Amos and elsewhere where injustice is condemned. And I responded to him and I said, well, sure, but how is justice defined? It's not defined socially. It's not social justice. It's God's justice. It's biblical justice. So first of all, you've got to start defining it properly. God defines it. The government doesn't. Our Savior, if you will, defines it. Not society. It's not social justice. It's biblical justice that matters in those Old Testament passages. Well, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Don't you think that there are injustices that exist today because of some people having more than others have? And I said, well, of course, but how do you solve it? The, the question here isn't whether or not injustice exists. And no thinking Christian would ever embrace injustice. We're told by the prophet Micah to seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our Lord. Justice is an important thing, but God defines it. You don't, sir, nor do I. Society doesn't define it. God does. Well, what's the solution? He says. I, and I responded. I said, I've already told you multiple times. The solution is to go back to what St. Paul tells us, that the hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you, that you're neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian. You're all one. You're unified as one body in Christ. And Jesus tells us what to do about these things. Forgive. Forgive. He's told us to forgive seven times 70, right? So why is that not being preached by the church? And why is revenge, payback, recompense? You've got yours. I want some of it because you got it from me a hundred years ago because of the system. What part of the Bible ever encourages that way of thinking? In fact, I told this guy, the 10th commandment says thou shalt not covet. What's the definition of coveting? We covered that in yesterday's show. Covetousness is looking outward and wanting somebody else's stuff, wanting their land, wanting their car, wanting their horse, wanting their wife, coveting, coveting their paycheck, coveting their house, coveting their boat, coveting what they have because you think you deserve it. That is a sin. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. I asked this guy, what's confusing about that? And, I, and then I went further. I said, if you're not getting the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and Jesus himself, who says, forgive, forgiveness is the solution when you've been wronged. If you are the offended, what's your responsibility according to Christ? To forgive. Well, he says, can that possibly be the solution? I said, yes. And I was quiet for a while. Yes, that is the solution. You asked me to comment on the woke church. You didn't ask me to comment on secular culture. You asked me to comment on the woke church. And I'm telling you that the church has clear instructions on how to engage in this discussion. First of all, we are not to be divisive. We are not to pit one part of the body against the other. We are not to pit categories of people against other categories of people. We are neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, male or female. It can't get much clearer than that. Please tell me where in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, does it elevate vengeance 
as a virtue. I'd just like to know, where in the Bible does it ever tell you to seek payback? That vengeance is yours, not the Lord's. Where? Where in Scripture does it tell you that? And how can you possibly ignore the fact that critical theory is predicated on the assumption of vengeance, of covetousness, of envy, of wanting something that you currently don't have, and refusing to forgive people for things that they didn't even do, but their ancestors did. What part do you not understand, sir? You can tell this interview is getting pretty heated at this point. So I brought up the issue of Martin Luther King Jr. I said, if you're not going to accept the Bible, but you're the one, you're the one who works for the religious news service. You're the one who said you wanted to talk about the church's response but you're not accepting my answer when I refer to the teachings of Scripture. So let's talk about MLK Jr. He said, you're not to judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So, critical theory does the opposite. It says that you are to judge people by the color of their skin. It divides the human being into two races, black and white, the privileged and the underprivileged. And it pits those two categories of people against one another in a class conflict with the goal of the offended overthrowing the offenders by redistribution and taking the stuff that over the centuries has been accumulated under the, under the victors, if you will, and should now be taken from them and redistributed to those that don't have as much stuff. Does that sound like a biblical worldview to you? Does that sound moral? Does that sound right? Martin Luther King Jr. would say no. He did not believe in judging anyone because of the color of their skin. I then told this reporter, Mr. Bob, I said, you need to read Vody Bakum's seminal work, Fault Lines. Vody is very clear. He says the Bible does not acknowledge different races. In fact, in the Bible, there's only one race, the human race. I asked him what part of that you don't understand. Guess what his answer was? Yeah, but. Oh, my land. So for 20 minutes of dancing back and forth, I repeated over and over again, the Bible is clear. You asked me about the church's response to these particular issues. You called me up and wanted to do an interview about wokeness. You've immediately shifted to a myopic focus on critical race theory within the woke tent. I've given you an answer. I think it's very clear. I've told you that St. Paul told the church, and that's who we're talking about in this interview, told the church that you are neither Jew nor Greek, that you are neither barbarian or Scythian, male or female, but you're all one in the body of Christ. I've told you, sir, that St. Paul even went further and said, the hand cannot say to the foot or the eye, I have no need of you that every member of the body has a unique function and no member of the body should be envious of another and want something that that other member of the body has 
and steal it from them and take it upon themselves. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. In fact, the teachings of St. Paul would argue that you can't do that. You can't divide the body. You can't divide the church. You can't pit one group against another. I'm not sure what's confusing about that. I also mentioned to him that Jesus himself elevated forgiveness above all of this nonsense. Well, again, he said, are you saying that that's the solution? I said, yes, period, end of it. Forgiveness is the solution. Teach people to forgive rather than foment revenge. That's the biblical solution. That's the solution of the church. You're never going to get anywhere if you keep pitting people against one another. You're going to get violence. You're going to get war. You're not going to get peace. You're not going to get community. You're going to get communism. And there's a difference. My adversary here, which he clearly was at this time, and again, if you're listening, you're probably thinking, Piper, why didn't you just tell this guy 15 minutes ago that the interview was over? Well, I guess I didn't because I wanted to try to answer his questions. But as I went on with the interview, I had to start wondering, do you even have a question? Because I've answered you every which way. I've answered you six different times saying essentially the exact same thing. But he wanted to lock into the Old Testament passages as if the Bible is clear that when injustices are committed, that there has to be some sort of payment for those injustices. And I said to him, that payment cannot be had as the result of enabling people, encouraging people, teaching people, instructing people, preaching to people in a way that encourages them to further the sin. I said, you don't solve the problem of cancer in the greater body by feeding it more carcinogens. You solve the problem, you cure the, cure the disease, excuse me, you cure the disease by feeding it something healthy rather than the garbage that you've been shoving down its throat. So if conflict and division and racism is the problem, then why in the world, sir, would you encourage more of it? That doesn't seem to be the smartest thing to do. Yeah, but, and at this point I'm agitated, I said, why would you want... Why would you want to encourage people to be racist in an effort to solve the problem of racism? That doesn't make any sense. You're doubling down on the initial sin. You're doubling down on injustice rather than curing it and solving it and going a different direction. You're just doubling down and continuing to march more aggressively in the same way that you were before. You're only hoping that the offended now becomes the offender. This is a vicious cycle. This is not Christianity. This does not end well. This is what we're dealing with, people. This guy writes for religious news service. I don't know what his background is. I don't know what his faith is, his religion is. But what I do know is I gave him biblical answers over and over and over and over again, and he refused to accept them. I gave him logical answers over and over and over again, and he refused to accept them. I gave him answers from Martin Luther King Jr. over and over and over again, and he refused to accept them. 
He won't accept the teachings of St. Paul. He won't accept the teachings of Martin Luther King Jr. He won't accept the teachings of Jesus. And he just keeps going back to, yeah, but the Old Testament talks about injustices and we need to solve them or cure them or remedy them. Okay, I don't disagree with that. Well, then he said, well, then how do you do that? I said, I told you. What part of what I've been talking about for the last 20 minutes do you not understand? I've told you that the way to resolve the injustices that that are real is not to blame people today that didn't commit them, not to pigeonhole people because of the color of their skin and claim that they're the devil, they're the evil ones just because of the way they look. No, that's not the way to solve the problem. The way to solve the problem is to tell people to act righteously. That's the way you solve the problem. You don't talk about systemic racism. You don't talk about corporate issues or societal issues. You talk about the individual, the individual heart, and you talk about the need for confession and repentance on the part of the offender. And then you talk about and you teach and you hold people accountable if they've been offended to forgive, to forgive. Bottom line, don't you dare judge me by the color of my skin. Don't you dare assume that somehow because of the way I look, I've been more privileged than people that don't look like me. Hogwash, baloney, nonsense. You have no idea what issues I've had to wrestle with, what socioeconomic status I had, what hurdles I had to jump over, and what walls I had to break through to accomplish anything in life of any measure and any status whatsoever. Don't dare tell me that I'm privileged because of the way I look, and don't you dare blame me for doing something I never did. That's not biblical. That's unbiblical. And don't you dare teach me if I have been offended, which I have because of the way I grew up, don't you dare teach me to be resentful and vengeful. Don't you dare teach me to demand my pound of flesh. Don't you dare teach me to covet, to break one of the Ten Commandments, and to break at least three, if not four, of the seven deadly sins. Don't you dare do that under the banner of Christianity. So there you have it, folks. (laughs) That's my interview with the Religious News Service and my buddy Bob. We'll see how that article comes out, right? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.